Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. It's great to be back with you. And uh, are you having a nice weekend? Yeah. Yeah? Good. I'm having a nice weekend. Yes, I'm having a lovely weekend. I love the weekend, actually, you know, when you can down tools a bit, spend a bit of time with the family. For me, weekends are about getting home, lighting the fire, and, uh, and, and in, enjoying Saturday night TV. <laughs> I have to suffer it. I've got teenagers. I've got four children. And, uh, well, one of them's married now and, and left, but the other three, you know, things like X Factor. I mean, oh, dear me. But, but at least it means I get some sofa time with my kids and my, my wife, which is really nice. And uh, I can remember one evening I was, uh, you know, I, I lit the fire, and the first thing that happens as soon as I light the fire is the cat appears. Okay. And the cat comes out, and, and a little cat, it's amazing how long a cat can be when there's a fire lit, and it stretches out like a doorstop in front of the fire, and usually the next one to come is um, uh, my middle son, I've got two birth children, two adopted sons as well, my eldest adopted son, he's usually the next one, and he'll come in, and he'll plonk himself down right next to the cat, and he'll start stroking the cat and watching the telly like this, with his eyes glazing over, like, and he was sat there one Saturday evening, and uh, the X Factor came on, and it started with this big song and dance number, and the dancers had almost no clothes on. I mean, they were dancing around, really scantily clad, you know. And my son, he sat there, and he just looked, and he went, wow, she's hot. He was talking about the cat. <laughs> I was terrified. Oh, no, please. He was only about 13 or 14. I thought, please don't start getting into this just yet. But, uh, no. My daughter, she missed it because she was on her phone, as, as most teenage daughters are. I don't know, technology's taken over the world, isn't it? It's just like, actually, I'm going to put my phone down because it keeps buzzing. Can you do <laughs> But... Uh, yeah, did you hear that somebody's bought YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and they're combining them all? They're going to call it you twit face. You haven't heard that? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, dear me. Anyway, that's not what I came here to talk about. I came here to talk to you about Jesus and how he changes people's lives. Okay? Uh, we've been singing about that this morning. Some of you have experienced that. We've been hearing that from the guys that have been on the Alpha course. And I have to confess to being one of those people whose life was radically changed by Jesus. I was heading one way, doing one thing, had a, some kind of meeting with Jesus, and it completely blew my world apart, and uh, in a good way. Uh, you see, Jesus changes lives. Now, what I want to do is, over the course of the next few minutes, I want to talk about... Take, take you on a bit of a journey of about 2,000 years, and we're going to look at four little cameos through history, some of them from the Bible and some of them from just life, at four people who had some kind of meeting with Jesus, like I did, like you could, and whose life was blown apart when they had that. And we're going to see if we can pick out some features of what happened to them so that you can actually understand what Jesus does when he comes and encounters a human being, a human life. What does he actually do? And I guess where I'm heading is at the end of it, I'll give you an invitation and say, do you want Jesus to come and change your life as well, just as he's done for these other four characters? Is that okay? I'll tell you a few stories along the way, um, but that's really where I'm heading, because I believe Jesus is still changing lives even today, and even in Bedford. Yeah, yeah I believe it. I believe it. So let's have a look at change life number one, and this one is going to come from the Bible, and it's going to come from Luke's Gospel. 
The Gospels are just the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and all the things that he said and did. So we get a really good picture of what Jesus is like in them. Uh, And the first one we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 5. And this is when Jesus was out teaching and he encountered some fishermen. And their lives were changed. So I'm just going to read Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 and it's up here for you as well. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water, let down the net for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him great story of somebody having an encounter with Jesus. I just want to start with the first two words though, where it just says one day. All good stories start with a one day, don't they? One day. I mean, this was just one day. It was just an ordinary day. Simon and his friends weren't setting out to encounter the miraculous. They weren't going to church. They were just getting on with their nine to five job and probably not very successfully that night as well. It was just one day, ordinary like any other day. This was the one day, one moment in history, that it wasn't random. God had chosen this one day for Jesus to interact with these men. This was the day way, way back in history that God chose for this meeting to take place. So it might be one day to Simon Peter and his friends, but in God's diary, it was on the calendar one day. And maybe today is your one day. One day I was going along and somebody invited me to the king's arms. One day I was walking outside and I wandered into the building. One day I plucked up the courage and I went along to that meeting. One day, like any other day. Might have seemed just chance for you. In God's diary, he's had it there for some time. This one day could be your one day. So what happens to them on this one day? You see, because for them, they had been getting on with the, the, the day job, or the night job in this case, but here they encountered something more, something other. So what happened on this one day? Well, firstly, when they had this meeting with Jesus, he asked them to do something that for them as fishermen seemed quite illogical. You hear what he asked them to do? He said to them, I want you to go back out and let down your nets again. 
Now, I don't know how you would feel if somebody who was not known for their expertise in your line of work came into your workplace where you just had a really bad day and said, go and do it all again. I don't, how would you respond to that? If, I mean, let's, let's imagine you're an engineer and you spend your days working on a lathe and you've just made a whole load of parts and you've realized they're a thousandth of a millimeter too big and they're all going in the bin. And somebody who's nothing to do with engineering comes into you and says, go on, go for it and make them all again. I think you might be rude to him. <laughs> I think I might be rude to him. But you see, here Jesus asked them to do something illogical. I must be honest, after I met Jesus, and in the 20 odd years since, he has asked me to do so many things that seem completely illogical. And to me, they just seem like the most crazy thing to do. Why would anybody want to do that? And especially, especially that decision to actually step over a line of faith and say, actually, you know what? I've got my life wrong. You're telling me to do something different. I'm going to believe in a man dying on a cross and being buried in a tomb for three days and coming alive again. I mean, to me, that was the most illogical story I had ever heard. Firstly, it was 2,000 years ago. How can that possibly have anything to do with me here now? Secondly, dead men don't get up again. Thirdly, it was an ever such a long way away from where I live. How can this possibly have any relevance for my life? Fourthly, surely science has disproved all this bunkum by now. And I could go on of all the reasons why this message is so ridiculously illogical. Because it is, isn't it? The message that somehow the death of a Palestinian Jew 2,000 years ago by being crucified on a hillside outside Jerusalem, how can that have any redeeming or rescuing effect in my life? Why would I want to follow a man that I have no understanding of or no experience with? It's illogical. Just like these guys being invited to put their boats out and put their nets down again. Illogical. But you know, I'm going to give you a verse from the Old Testament that tells you something about God. And it's from the prophet Isaiah. And he said this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It tells us something about God. It tells us that God knows more and sees more than we do. You see, when God asks us to do something illogical, that's because to us, it is illogical. Because we can only see this much. God can see everything and knows everything. So when he asks us to do something illogical, it's because he can see the end. You know, the Bible describes Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, which is the Greek letters for the beginning and the end. It means he sees everything and knows everything. You see, so for me, stepping over a line of faith and believing in Jesus and asking him to forgive me for my sin and asking him to come into my life and lead me seemed illogical. But when I realized he knew my life better than I did, when I realized he'd seen all my experiences and understood them, when I realized that he had the power to change me from within and 
had a higher purpose and a bigger meaning for my life than I'd ever dreamt of, it made an awful lot more sense. Because I was only living for the moment, I could only see the moment. You see, for these guys, that, he asked them to do something illogical. But then he backed it up, didn't he? You see what happened? Now, I don't know exactly what he did, but he was more powerful than they were. So they put their nets out into the same bit of water that they'd been out to before. All night they'd been fishing and caught how many fish? Uh -uh, big fat zero, haven't they? Yeah? They put, the net, they put the nets out again when Jesus tells them to. And what happens? They get so many that they have to call friends to come and help. Now, I don't know what Jesus did. I don't know whether he said to all the fish, quick, 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 swim to the net. <laughs> and they all quickly gather around the boat and they hold them in. I don't know whether Jesus multiplied all the fish all of a sudden. They're all having babies and growing very quickly. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that what they got was extremely fruitful. You see, Jesus asked us to do something illogical. Step over a line of faith, believe in him, put your net down, whatever it might be. It is illogical to us, but for him, he wants our lives to bear fruit. He didn't call Peter and John to do the illogical because he wanted to make them look foolish. He did it because he wanted them to have the catch of their lives. Do you see that? So if Jesus asks you to do something illogical, like believing in him, is it to embarrass you? Is it to make you look foolish or weak? No. It's to make your life the best life it can be. To have the catch of your lives, you see. You see, if you have an encounter with Jesus today and he comes and changes your life, you won't be put to shame. You won't be made to look foolish. Your life will be on track to bear fruit and to be the most abundant life that you can imagine. You know, Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. And I have to be honest with you, that's been my experience. From the moment I trusted him, I've had the most full and abundant life that I could ever have imagined. Let me tell you about somebody else that had an encounter with Jesus, and then we'll go on to our changed, second changed life. Can we just put up this photo? This is a, a young guy called Mohammed, who I met uh, one day. One day. Yeah? Just one day. I was in town on a Monday lunchtime. I often go up into the centre of Southampton on a Monday lunchtime just to chat to folk, to pray with people, or to do whatever God tells me to do, really. Uh, and I'm there on this one day. It would have been Monday, and it would have been uh, 2.30. Muhammad walks past, and he chats with my friend Sash. And it turns out Muhammad has a back problem. And so Sash says, would you like us to pray for your back problem? So he said, actually, I would. Uh, um, and so Sash calls me up and says, come on, we're going to pray for this chap, Muhammad. He's got a back problem. And so I, I sat down next to him. And he said, before you pray, he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, of course you can. And he said this to me. Why can I not find God in Islam? Wow. I thought, that's a big question, Muhammad. <laughs> um, I said, can you just unpack that a little bit for me? What do you mean you can't find God in Islam? And he said, well, firstly, he said, I pray and nothing's happening. Secondly, he said, I go to the mosque, and he said, I've been brought up speaking Hindi and Urdu, and my English is pretty good, but I have to pray in Arabic, and I don't even know what I'm saying. I can't connect with God at all. 
He said, then I decided I need to go on pilgrimage to Mecca. So I went, and he said, everybody was just rude and shoved me and pushed me, and I felt so alone. But whenever I meet Christians, they seem to love me and love God. Wow. So I I thought, this is going to take some unpacking. (laughs) And so I said, have you got some time? And he said, yeah. He said, I've got an appointment at three, but after that I'm free for the rest of the afternoon. So he went to his appointment at three, and then I met him in his apartment. in got a nice swanky apartment in the middle of Southampton. So I went up to his apartment for tea, and we sat there, and I opened up my Bible, and I was showing him some of the stories in the Bible, and particularly the story that Jesus told about the son who took his inheritance early and wandered off and spent it on wild living, but then who wanted to return home, and instead of rejecting him, his father ran to meet him and welcomed him home. And I kind of tied that in with my story because I'd been a bit of a wayward son and a bit of a wayward boy. And when I came to God and came to know Jesus, he welcomed me in. So I was kind of tying my story in with this story about the son coming home. And as I'm sharing it with him, tears began to roll down his cheeks. And Muhammad looked at me and he said this, I knew there was a father like that. I knew there was a father like that. And so over a cup of green tea on his nice oak table, he stepped over a line of faith, and it was his one day. He became a follower of Jesus. He's going on with Jesus now. He's doing really well. And you know the best thing? He owns one of the nicest Indian restaurants in Southampton. Uh, It's marvelous. He will never let me pay. He said, after what you've done for me, how can I charge you? We've had our elders meetings in there. I've been there for family birthdays. (laughs) All I'm praying now is for a Chinese man to come to faith in Jesus, and I'll be happy, yeah. That was Muhammad's one day. You know, at the end of this meeting, I'm going to invite you to do something. I'm going to invite you to believe in the illogical. I'm going to invite you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did come to earth to rescue us, that he is a father that runs to us, that he is a friend who draws near, that he is a miraculous power worker who can do whatever he wants with the fish and he can do whatever he wants with our lives. And that he is a jolly good saviour. And I'm going to ask you to believe that when he died on the cross, he was doing it for you personally. That he was actually paying a price that you and I owed for our own rebellion and our own sin. And so that event that happened 2,000 years ago does have a very direct relevance to you and me today. Because he was paying a penalty For our waywardness and our rebellion and our independence and our sin is the Bible word. The things that we do that offend holy, pure God. You see, God is such a loving Father that he rushes to meet us. And he takes us as we are. But he did this to cleanse us and to forgive us so that we could be welcomed into his presence. I'm going to ask you to believe that and invite you to have your one day. might seem illogical at this moment, but boy is it good. Change life number two. Let's flick over a few pages uh, in the Bible, if you're using a Bible, or you can do this if you want to, because a lot of people do that, don't they? Um, And this is a bit later in the story. This is from the book of Acts, which is uh, written by the same guy. And we're looking at Acts chapter 3. The reason I've chosen this particular story is because it tells us a bit more about what happened after the one day. Because here we see the same guy, Simon Peter, 
after he's given up the fishing job because he's realized following Jesus is a heck of a lot more of an adventure. And, uh, and here we see him with another guy, John. And uh, let me read to you what happens. Uh, this is a point, remember, a bit later. So Jesus at this point has died and risen again. And now instead of now working just through his own physical body, he's now come and he's filled these guys and he's carrying on his ministry through them now. Okay, so he's now working through them as well. And what you see is you see him doing some pretty amazing things. Instead of being a fisherman, he's now got a powerhouse of a life. And he's healing the sick and he's preaching about Jesus and doing all sorts of stuff. And I think it gives me great hope, this story, because it means that Jesus isn't the only one that can do what Jesus was doing. He can now come into his followers and do the same thing through Peter and John and through us, which is why I believe that God can still set people free and heal people's bodies even today, yeah, even in Bedford because he's not limited now by his physical body. He can come and there'll be some people here that will pray for you and Jesus will heal you today because this shows us that that's what he does. So let me read you a bit of the story. This is from Acts chapter 3. I'll read the first 10 verses. Starts the same way, one day. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So picture the scene, this beautiful gate, and three times a day the Jews would go to pray. So there'd be a prayer meeting uh, at 9 o'clock, at 12 noon, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is the 3 o'clock in the afternoon prayer meeting, and people are just about to head up to pray. And you've got to understand, at this time, there'd have been no welfare system, no care system. So for somebody to make a living, if they were disabled like this, they, this was their only method. And so it would be a good place to go. So the Jews were God-fearing, and they'd go up there, and they'd see a man. And it, for a Jew, it would actually earn them some merit before God if they gave money to this guy. So it was a holy thing for them to do, to give money. So it was a good place. It would be, I guess, the equivalent of selling uh, the big issue outside the the shopping centre. I, I did try and look up what it is. Is it the Harper Centre? Yeah, the Harper Centre. And so it'd be the equivalent of going somewhere where people are going to spend money and, 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 and getting your money from them. So it's a good place for him to be. He's there, and he's in front of this gate called Beautiful. Now, it's called Beautiful for a reason. We've got, we've got a picture of this gate. It would have been huge, about 75 feet high. 
great big wooden doors with beautiful brass and gilding all around them. I mean, this was a beautiful gate. It was immense, and it was all decorated, and it would have been quite a sight. And, and so you've got these beautiful high doors, beautiful arches, and, and, and you've got this guy sitting there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and in fact, he was being carried there. He couldn't get there himself. So he was being carried there by family and, and left there, um, just as the apostles here arrived. So you've got this massive gate, you've got this impressive set of doors. But the encounter with Jesus, it's interesting, didn't come on all this beauty and power. It came on the, the man who was quite small and very helpless and from a society perspective was a bit of an outcast. He would have been. He would have been. That's, that's how he would have been viewed by those around him. You see, Jesus changes the lives of human beings, but he's got a particular bent on changing the lives of those who are broken, who are hurting, who are downcast, alone, sick. See, Jesus pointed out this feature of his ministry to the Jewish religious leaders who were telling him off, really, for hanging out with people who were undesirable. And Jesus said to them, look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. You see, the man in our story here was, was uh, a broken man. He was an outcast. And he'd been like this his whole life. In, in, in verse 2, Luke tells us that he'd been crippled from birth. In the next chapter, in verse 22, he tells us that the man is now over 40 years old. So we're talking about long-term sickness, long-term dependence. He couldn't even get himself there. He was totally reliant on others. So the gate was impressive. The doors were impressive, but there was nothing really impressive about him at all. Yet that is where the power of God came. I find that fascinating. It absolutely radically changed his life. See, there's two ways you can apply this, I guess. One is physical, the other is spiritual. The spiritual application is actually, if you're imperfect, God can restore you. Anybody here perfect? We're not, are we? We all carry stuff in our lives that flags up our imperfection. The times that we've let others down, the things that we've said which we wish we'd never said, the places we've been to which we wish we'd avoided, the decisions we've made that we know were selfish, the times when we've just been so self-centered that we've not even just cared about those around us, let alone caring about the opinion of a God who is pure. You know, the application for this is, if that's you, if you've made wrong decisions, wrong calls, if you've been selfish, if you've been independent, if you've not honoured God with your life, the power of God can come and restore you. That's true. And you can encounter him today. Stretch out, he'll stretch out his hand, you stretch out yours, and he will take you by the hand, and he will lift you up. That is what he will do. The other application, of course, is physical. This man had a long-term physical disability, and it was instantly healed. 
The power of God came into his physical body. This isn't just a nice story. This is a historical account, a very well-attested historical account. It actually happened, and everybody saw it. All the people that were there saw it. Here's this man. He's down there. Peter and John say, look, I haven't got any money, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Stretch out his hand. He feels something happen. He feels a power going into his ankles, and it says he stands up. Can you imagine that? Whoa! And then it says he's walking, so he's testing it out. Then it says he's jumping. So obviously he know, I mean, you don't jump, do you, if you have doubt. So he jumps, and, and all of a sudden it says he's walking and jumping and praising God. So he's doing all three. So walk, jump, pray, hallelujah. <laughs> and everybody noticed. You know, I was preaching on this particular uh, encounter uh, a few weeks ago down in Bournemouth at Citygate Church. And there was a lady who'd come for the first time ever to church. And uh, she'd been sitting at home watching television, and she'd been flicking through the channels, and had come across one of the Christian channels. You know, some of them are good, some of them are less good, but she'd flicked on one. And, uh, and she was watching it, and she felt something inside and thought, I've got to go to a church. And so this was the following week. She'd come, and she'd brought her husband and her three grown-up children to church for the first time ever. Her name was Angela, and she'd come in a wheelchair which she had been in for 35 years. And, uh, I said, and I shared this story. Now, at the end of the meeting, Angela decided she wanted to follow Jesus. So she did a very bold thing. She did what this guy did. She stretched out her hand. She actually raised her hand at the end of the meeting saying, I want to follow Jesus. And so I led her and several others in a prayer where they could articulate what was going on in their hearts and cross over a line of faith and become a follower of Jesus. So after the meeting finished, I thought, I'm just going to go and talk to that lady because I'd love to know a bit about her story. So I'm there talking to her, and she says, you know you were telling that story about the man who was disabled for 40 years. She said, well, if Jesus is real and can still do that today, then he could do that for me, couldn't he? I said, well, yeah, yes, he could. And I could see that she wanted me to pray for her. And all of a sudden, my faith disappeared under the floorboard somewhere. And so I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I said, okay. I, and, and I gave her all the reasons why God sometimes doesn't heal. And then I felt God give me a prod and say, get on with it, Kilby. <clears throat> so I got down on my knees and I, 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 I placed my hands on her legs, just on the side of her legs. And I, I just said these words. I thought, I don't know what else to pray. I said, look, silver and gold I haven't got. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And as I did that, I just suddenly felt a little tiny bit of faith. And so I flicked up the footplates of her wheelchair, like that. And, and she put her feet down. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, she's going to do this next. She's going to stand up. So I thought, I don't want her falling over. So I put my hands out for her to hold. So she stood up. She held my hands, and she stood there. And I suddenly realized again I've got to make the next move because I'm now in her way. So I take a step back, at which point she takes a step forward. And so I carried on taking steps back, and she's following me. And, and then I let go of one hand, and then I let go of the other hand. And she's walking in front of me, and all her family are following along. <laughs> and I'm thinking she's going to go, Dish. but no, she walked right the way around, right the way to the back, and went and got a cup of tea. <laughs> 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 
So, Jesus changed the fishermen's life and made them more fruitful. Jesus came to this man and made his life whole. He was healed. And there was a big change of atmosphere, just like you're cheering and hollering. Can you imagine the sight? For these 40 years he'd been there. And everybody knew him. That's the guy, that's the guy at the beautiful gate. Look at him, what's he doing? He's going loopy. But you can't ignore this kind of thing, can you? Let me just show you another quick life. Can we just put up that next picture? Uh, this is a chap called uh, Lee. Now, I was out, you know, sometimes down in Southampton, we've had a bit of a tradition some years of, of putting up a tent in the park and inviting people to come. And we just put on church in the park. Uh, and when we're there, we tell people about Jesus and we pray for them and we worship Jesus. And, and this is about six o'clock in the evening when nobody is in town at all. And we were just getting ready for our evening meeting. And I said to Simon, who leads our youth work at our church, I said, let's just go up onto the high street and have one more go and see if there's anybody there that God wants to reach. And so we went up there, and the high street was completely empty. And I could see this little lone figure walking down in the distance. And I thought, oh, I'll just wait here. You know, it's, it's kind of like that moment when you think, oh, it's going to take him ages to get here. Um, should we go to the meeting? Anyway, he got there, and we said... I, I suddenly noticed that he had one of those trendy Hollister T-shirts, you know. Uh, and so did my youth leader had a Hollister t-shirt on. So I made the lamest of jokes. I just went, ha ha, Hollister buddies. Like that. And he went, <laughs> but it was enough to make him stop. Uh, and I said, what are you up to? And he said, oh, I'm just going to the pub. I thought, well, that's very reasonable. Young man in his 20s, fr Friday night, going to the pub. Why wouldn't you? And so I had a postcard as an invitation to the evening. I said, do you want to come to this instead? And he took the card and he looked at it, church in the park, and he said, why? <laughs> why would I want to go to this instead of going to the pub? And so I began to tell him a couple of stories, like I'm telling you, of people who that week had had encounters with Jesus or who had been healed. And he said, oh, he won't heal me. And I said, well, what's the matter? He said, oh, I've got infected sinuses and headaches and blah, blah. So I said, well, why don't we ask him? So we stood there, nobody else in the high street, me, Simon the youth leader, and Lee. And so I said, I'm just going to put my hands on your forehead here. Okay. So I put my hands on his forehead. And I just said, in the name of Jesus Christ, sinuses, be clear and be healed. And he went. And then he swore so loudly that it echoed all the way around the precinct. And he looked at me and he looked at Simon. And he looked at the card again. And while I was praying for him, I'd felt God give me three words. And the three words were, up for it. And so I said to him, I said, this is going to sound really weird, Lee, but sometimes when I'm praying, God speaks to me, and I feel he's given me three words, and the words are up for it. And I said, I don't know if that's the kind of thing you say, you know, you're, oh, yeah, I'm up for it, or whether that's the kind of personality you are, but I just felt God wanted to connect with you through that. And he said, oh, that's exactly what I'm like. Oh, yeah, you know, whatever's going on, I'm up for it. And so Simon turned to him, waved the card, and then said, so are you up for it? And he went... Yeah, all right. And he walked with us down the road to the tent in the park. And Adrian was with us. Adrian Holloway was with us that evening. And he was praying for the sick. And he was sharing the message of Jesus. Uh, Lee's ligament damage in his knees was also healed that day. 
And at the end of the meeting, he was the first one to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yeah? And two days later, on the Sunday, he was baptised in the park, in the middle of Southampton, as a follower of Jesus. You see, Jesus changes lives. You see, all these people made a response. The man here made a response. He stretched out his hand. Lee made a response. Actually, he said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. At the end of what I'm going to say, in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite you to make a response as well and to make up your own mind about whether you want to follow Jesus or not. And I've got two very brief accounts to finish with. The first one is this next picture. This is a man you may never have heard of. Um, Can we flick on to the next one? This is uh, a man called George Muller, who has a great line in beards. I grew a beard this Christmas. It, it was interesting. <laughs> I looked like Father Christmas, because it's all gray now. I was quite relieved to shave it off in the new year. Anyway, you may not have heard of George Muller, but he was a German. He was born in September in 1805, and he was a young man who made a whole heap of mistakes. Okay, he reminds me very much of me when I was young. He was living for the moment. He was hedonistic. But his dad thought, I've got to get this lad into a career. So he said, I'm going to get you trained up to be a minister in the Lutheran church. Uh, it, not that he was a believer of any great you know, renown, but, but it was quite a good career in those days in Germany. And so he got him signed up to train for that. And uh, as a young boy, uh, his dad gave him some savings to kind of invest uh, and to be trusted with and to learn how to handle money. And what George Muller discovered as a young boy is that actually I'd much prefer spending this than investing this. Uh, and so he would spend it on kind of just, just waste, wasteful pursuits and just having fun. He'd get musical instruments out and he'd go out partying with his friends. And he carried on doing this. As he got older, his, his pursuits just got more and more adult. Um, so he would end up gambling in taverns, drinking heavily and stuff like that. Um, and in fact, even the day his own mum died, uh, he was in the tavern drunk. Um, and uh, so his dad thought, I've got to get this lad sorted. So he said, look, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you this house and the money to renovate it. And I want you to project manage it and I want you to make it all so you know how to handle money, how to employ people. How to... So he took the money and he blew the whole lot on a week of reckless living. By the way, at this time he was also sleeping with prostitutes and gambling really heavily. He was only 16 still by this stage. And he took the whole lot and blew the whole lot. And he, he, he then realized what he'd done. And so he borrowed some smart clothes from a friend and managed to, by looking smart, blag a week in a hotel, top hotel, took a woman there, stayed there for the week, ended up running out the toilet window to escape. Um, did the same thing again uh, in another hotel. Eventually got caught by the police. But George Muller had an encounter with Jesus. And some years later, he moved here to the UK, to Bristol. And his heart had been so changed. And from someone who had, as a young man, been so selfish and independent, all of a sudden now, he found he cared about people, and particularly children. And he started orphanages in Bristol. And I read a quote in his uh, biography that said, that when he died, aged 90, on March the 10th, 1898, he'd provided care for about 10,000 orphans. Yeah. So he'd gone from one of the most deceitful, lying, cheating, hedonistic young men that you can imagine, through to being one of the most faithful, prayerful, considerate, altruistic, loving people that you can imagine. 
because he had an encounter with Jesus. Now, I guess the application here is whatever you're doing, however selfish or stupid you might be at the moment, yeah, however you might be living for yourself and just living for the high life and thinking that eat, drink tomorrow, for, you know, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow I die, whatever you might be involved in, actually, if you have an encounter with Jesus, your life can be one that can change not just one life or two lives, but hundreds of lives. Thousands of lives. Who knows what God could do with your life when you put it into his hands? I said to you, he's come so that you can have a fruitful life. Imagine what, I mean, I could never have imagined what my life would become. And I'm the fourth, the fourth story, so let's flick on because there's a really handsome picture of me next. <laughs> you see, I have to say, I, I was no different than George Muller. I mean, I was a complete reckless idiot. From the age of 14, I was playing in bands. That led to drink. That then led to drugs. That then led to running away from drug dealers. That then led to running away from England and trying to start again in another country. First person I met there was a drug dealer. I thought I was running away, but the problem was in here, not out there. Um, And then one thing led to another. My boss said to me, oh, um, I need somebody to take a lorry to Sweden. Uh, And I, being like George Muller, said, I'll do it. I don't have a driving license. I certainly didn't have a heavy goods vehicle driving license, but I had some bravado and some stupidity. So I said, I'll do it. I took a 16-ton lorry for one drive around the village, and the next day I was on the ferry over to Sweden. I mean, I laugh about it now, but in all seriousness, it was a death trap. I could have killed anybody. Thankfully, the only thing that suffered was the canopy of a garage somewhere in the middle of a Sweden that <laughs> kind of came away with me as I drove out from refueling. (laughs) But I didn't care about anybody or anything. I was living for the experience, for the moment. And then I had Jesus met me. I was on an underground train somewhere underneath central London. I've been trying to find God, I guess. I've been trying to question, is it real? And then eventually I just gave it all up. I just said, oh, if you're real, and if you know me, and if you can forgive me, I want to know you. All I can tell you is in that moment, it was like these guys in the Bible. My whole life turned around. I knew in that moment God was real. I knew that I was forgiven. And God said four words to me that I have never, ever forgotten. He said to me, you are my son. (sighs) Oh, gosh. You see, I suddenly realized that all my problems with drink and drugs and running away, it was all because I didn't have a dad who cared for me, who loved me, who was there for me. My dad had run off and had an affair when I was a kid. But here, I realized who God was. He wasn't this finger-wagging, beardy, cloudy... He was a father who would wrap me up, just like the boy in the story Jesus told, just like Muhammad, just like Lee, just like George Miller, just like Peter, just like John, and now it's my turn. And he loved me. You know, he's never let me go. He's never let me go. I have been on the receiving end of the most profound love that you can ever imagine. I'm quite thankful for that. (laughs) Sorry. You know, will you let him change your life by an encounter with him? Is today your one day? Because I've finished what I want to say. But this is an opportunity for you to say what you want to say.